Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Vin Gupta. He is a practicing pulmonologist, a healthcare futurist, and an expert on healthcare policy, as well as the senior principal scientist and CMO at New Health Initiatives at Amazon. He's also a commissioned officer in the United States Air Force Medical Reserve Corps, serving as the officer in charge of the critical care air transport capability at Joint Base Lewis-McChord. Dr. Gupta is a part-time medical analyst for NBC News. He's held prior research roles at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the World Bank. Focused on pandemic influenza preparedness and at the Center for Global Health Engagement and Harvard Global Health Institute. And finally, he serves as a medical advisor to several organizations, including the National Football League and Major League Baseball. Dr. Gupta received his Bachelor of Arts degree from Princeton University, his medical doctorate from Columbia University, his master's degree in public administration from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, and his master's degree in international relations from the University of Cambridge. He has active board certification in internal medicine, pulmonology, and critical care medicine, and he completed his clinical training at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Gupta will be presenting the Arthur C. Bachmeyer Memorial Address and Luncheon, The Interface of Technology and Healthcare, Positive Disruption in Consumer-Driven Solutions from Technology Companies. That will be coming up at ACHE's 2023 Congress on Healthcare Leadership, which will take place March 20th through the 23rd in Chicago. His presentation will explore how adoption of revolutionary digital health tools has accelerated change, which is shaping the future of U.S. healthcare delivery and driving increased consumerism. You can register for that today at ACHE.org slash Congress. All right. With that introduction, Dr. Gupta, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Eric, thank you so much for that kind introduction and and for having me. Really excited to, to join the ACHG community very shortly. Yeah, and I know a lot of our listeners have seen you before, have seen you on national television. So let's get right into this. Let's talk about you know how your work kind of really puts you at the cutting edge of healthcare here. So what are some of those solutions that you are excited to see roll out here in the near future? You know, Eric, uh, more than anything, I know there's going to be a lot of healthcare leaders in the audience uh, when we meet. Uh, shortly. And and more than anything across the country, what we've seen is we have a smaller healthcare workforce in brick and mortar healthcare systems to, uh, to deal with more healthcare challenges like a pandemic, like a tridemic. Uh, and, and, and we have an aging population that's only going to actually get grayer uh, by the end of this decade. And so there's that supply demand imbalance. More people need services. We have less trained workforce to actually deliver those services. And so where I think technology, health techno- technological solutions can help is in really keeping people at home to maximize that they stay as healthy as possible at home. So I love what we're seeing when it comes to innovative solutions or testing for more conditions in the at-home environment and then being able to pair a positive diagnosis, say for an infectious disease like COVID or maybe one day flu with same day treatment and having that medication delivered right to your doorstep as well. This The delivery of needed services in the at-home environment for more people will not only help meet people where they're at and meet this really interesting moment that we find ourselves in because of the pandemic, but I think it's also going to really help health systems at what is a very difficult time when it comes to workforce challenges, uh, a workforce that is experiencing burnout. Again, these supply-demand imbalances, we need 
a, a pop-off valve here, and that's where I think health technology, and particularly particularly these test-to-treat initiatives, can be really helpful. So let's talk about that smaller workforce a little bit. You mentioned burnout there. You mentioned emphasizing these new digital health tools, and it's something we've talked about before um, on this podcast. Is maybe it's sometimes the struggle to build confidence um, with patients with some of these digital health tools. So. How would you encourage healthcare leaders and their organizations to really build confidence in using some of these tools as part of their healthcare journey? Well, you know, th- there is this trust gap. There is an there's an information asymmetry. Often, people, patients don't know. My patients don't know what tools exist already to help them, say, manage their COPD or to help them get quick treatment if, say, they came down with a diagnosis of COVID nineteen. There's an information asymmetry, and that breeds mistrust. If you don't know something exists that's low cost and easy to access at home, so value, convenience, portability, selection, we, if we aren't messaging on that as healthcare providers and providing that information, that fundamentally is going to breed mistrust because then patients are probably going to experience healthcare as it is today at scale. It's, it's higher cost. It, it's saddled with frustrations like long wait times. That breeds mistrust. And so if there's if there's a way to cut through all that, to, to really maximize efficiency for patients, it's to let them know that new solutions exist, new solutions are, are on the horizon, that they are to be trusted, that the uh, latest, greatest at-home tests for diabetes monitoring or, say, for COVID flu, when such a test gets developed, likely, hopefully, in, in, in the next year that these tests are to be trusted, that the science has been followed, and then how to manage a positive test, how to navigate, say, a virtual telemedicine platform to get what they need. And really, I, I think this is an optimal time to take advantage of this technological revolution to build this trust, because I'll say this for my own patients, they understand their health risk profile better than they did in December of 2019, because we've been talking in these terms to the lay public now for the last three plus years. So health risk assessments, understanding who is higher risk, who's lower risk, how to triage yourself and, and the services that you may need if you're feeling unwell. This is a really important time here where, where public understanding of these concepts has never been greater. And now the tools to actually meet people where they're at in the at-home environment are available at a way, at a, at a frequency, at a prevalence that they have not been uh, prior to the pandemic. So th- there's a convergence of a lot of interesting dynamics here Building trust is key. A lot of that has to do with addressing information asymmetries and making sure people are, cl- are clear about the benefit of some of these tools. I'm curious to get your response to this because we've talked about uh, this trust gap before on the, on the podcast. And is it a myth or is it a misconception that, okay, my younger patients have no problem with telehealth and some of these others digital tools, but my older patients are very resistant. Is that a myth or a misconception? Are we seeing adoption of these digital tools across the patient base? You know, I, I do think that there is, uh, as you said, that uh, this conception that those that are those demographics that are digital forward that like to uh, adopt technological tools. So those between say 30 and 55, that that's the sweet spot for, for some of these digital health innovations. And yet I think we underestimate what those who are 65 and older are willing to do. They're using smartphones. They're, mm-hmm. they're, uh, they have the capability to navigate some of these platforms just as easily as somebody who might be three decades younger. 
And so we do underestimate the willingness of those who may be on a government-sponsored healthcare insurance program like Medicare or Medicaid to navigate uh, what is actually quite simple. We assume that there's complexity here, but it's actually, especially with you know moderate amounts of training, if a loved one can help them log in, establish an account, if an account's required to, to sign up for a telehealth service, for example, with just some basic guidance, and th- that could be something that a physician or a provider facilitates or a loved one, it, it, the, the reach of these solutions does not have to be limited to a younger demographic. So it, I, I think you're spot on here. We need to revisit our assumptions and make sure that we're uh, ensuring comprehension, accessibility to all age groups, all zip codes, because the reach here can be truly uh, uh, quite widespread. And what we're seeing here is a disruption in healthcare, in technology. We see this in other industries as well. And let's dive into the term positive disruption for a minute. And I guess, what does that mean to you and how does it benefit patients and healthcare workers as we're seeing what we're seeing today? And from my standpoint, I put on my hat as a pulmonologist, positive disruption in health technology is, is something that yields a clear return on investment in terms of better patient outcomes at lower cost. And especially as we're, uh, every healthcare leader in the room at ACHG is thinking about capitated reimbursement models, how do they deliver a, a set of healthcare services at one fee while uh, while netting some uh, degree of cost savings for the patient, for the healthcare system, and improving their healthcare outcomes? I mean, it's quite a challenging set of outcomes uh, uh, to achieve. And that's where positive disruption, some of these digital tools can be very helpful. It's a, it's almost overwhelming when you think about all the tools that exist, all the apps that we have our uh, ready access to at our fingertips, what's useful, what's not. And so po- to me, that concept of positive disruption is, is, is an innovation here. Does it yield a clear ROI? Has it been demonstrated to do that? And, and how does it actually fit into existing clinical workflows? Do we have to completely transform how we care for patients, how the clinical day is structured, or is it a seamless fit? And, and presuming it's seamless and presuming the ROI is is clear, uh, that to me are the two ingredients here that can lead to positive disruption. So on the topic of clear ROI here, we're starting to see a case made for the use of ambient intelligence in healthcare. So can you talk a little bit about ambient intelligence and how it can be used to improve patient experience? You know, I'm really excited about some of the diagnostics that are that that are emerging. And you know, and let me emphasize here, they're emerging. But when you think about some of the most vexing issues in global public health, there are issues like poor sleep. You know, 80% of adults, according to some estimates here in the United States, have poor sleep. And 60% worldwide. I mean, the numbers here are extraordinary. We know that that could lead to chronic diseases like hypertension heart failure in, in, in advanced cases. Uh, hypertension, let's take blood pressure, the leading killer of humanity year over year for several decades, probably since the 1950s, at least once we started getting this data. I mean, we really have not figured out a way at scale to intervene early on these conditions to screen individuals who might be positive, who might have early stage hypertension as an example, and to get them on therapy. Because existing diagnostics are not are, are, are not patient friendly. Of, uh, of individuals who already have a pre-existing diagnosis of high blood pressure, one in 10 report regularly checking their blood pressure, even if they own an at-home cuff, because that experience of putting on a cuff is so unpleasant. 
So that's telling us something here that uh, we need a different way, a different paradigm to think about next generation diagnostics and the ways in which in our patients really want to interact with the healthcare system to get the care that they need. And that's where I think ambient intelligence has a, has an, has a clear opportunity. Again, it's early, but contactless uh, vital sign tracking, some of this technology already exists today. Can, can we use it to diagnose somebody who might have obstructive sleep apnea or somebody who might have early stage hypertension? The answer to that is yes, we can, but it's going to require a leap of faith on behalf of patients to trust it. It's going to require the science to continue to iterate and improve. And then ultimately, it's going to require an additional leap of faith on the uh, on the part of providers to embrace it, to understand its, its strengths and limitations. But that's the only way to really move forward here. Otherwise, we're going to see the same set of realities that exist today, high blood pressure, sleep apnea, continue to be the leading drivers of poor health, uh, disability, and, and ultimately death in the next 30 years. So let's look ahead a little bit. And we love when we have experts like yourself uh, on the podcast because we ask you to look into the future a little bit. You've been talking about how healthcare consumerism is going to evolve. So I guess what's the best way for healthcare leaders to prepare for everything you've been talking about? There needs to be engagement with with the companies and the stakeholders that are innovating in, in digital health solutions. In some cases, those are traditional stakeholders in healthcare delivery, but there are new disruptors, new stakeholders in this space that are excellent when it comes to patient engagement, customer engagement, uh, and really know how to, uh, how to deliver lovable products. And in this case, uh, they're entering the healthcare space. Uh, I work for one of those companies, Amazon, that's trying to figure out how do we create lovable, engaging products that people will utilize and keep coming back to, but that will help them uh, stay as healthy and as well as possible. Engagement is key. And some traditionally non-healthcare companies are really, really good at it. And so how do you take the best of those core strengths with the best of clinical medicine and evidence-based practice and combine the two? And I think the only way you can actually do that is if you're engaged in an iterative, collaborative dialogue. So public-private partnerships, making sure that all stakeholders in healthcare disruption technology are present. So traditional brick-and-mortar healthcare systems talking to, say, an Amazon or an Apple, and making sure that products are really meeting patient needs, that they're integrated into existing clinical workflows. So that that concept of positive disruption that you referenced earlier is truly realized here, that we're not just pr- uh, innovating and bringing to market solutions that no one wants to utilize or isn't really truly addressing an unmet need, that, in other, that we're actually focused on real problems, real solutions, positive disruption. I think the only way we achieve that is through iterative engagement. I love what you said there about bringing those who are experts in engagement to the table, even if they don't have a healthcare background there. So you've been doing a great job here, kind of previewing your keynote address at Congress. So without giving everything away, maybe a little plug here, what else can attendees look forward to hearing from you uh, coming up in March? Uh, To me, this place that we're at, everybody likes to talk about the future of healthcare, where are we headed? What does it mean? And at the end of the day, the future of healthcare is going to impact patients, providers, and payers, I hope, in, in, in a similar way, where there will be positive disruption, positive change, where payers will see that uh, that, that the bottom line is improved, 
that they're able to provide and cover healthcare services at lower cost that patients will actually enjoy their healthcare experience because they have uh, a clear understanding of what services are available to them and when to utilize them. Often information asymmetry, again, to some of the earlier uh, themes that we were talking about, often patients, employees, part of an uh, employer health benefit program have no clue what services may or may not be available to them. So health technology allows us to reset that and ensure that patient understanding is as clear as possible. So there's clear benefits to patients here in this moment of what, are, what where is the future headed? Obviously for payers as well, uh, just better economics. And then for providers, critically as a provider myself, at this moment when we're talking about workforce challenges, 30% of physicians, maybe even as high as 40% of nurses are expected to leave the workforce by the end of the decade. We're expecting to see, according to Oliver Wyman, 10 million uh, workforce shortage gap by the end of the decade across all health cadres. It's enormous, the gap between where we need to be from a workforce standpoint and where we will be. So that supply and demand piece is really going to be key here, especially as we get a greater, popula uh, greater population by 2030. So what this all means for providers is so consequential here. And I hope providers build, uh, see that there is clear end benefits to them, that they feel that they're part of these solutions, that they're heard and listened to. That's often what worries me the most is sometimes I hear this from my colleagues that they don't feel like they actually have a stake and that they're part of this discussion, that they're at, that they're, that they're being listened to, that some of these solutions are being imposed onto them and they have to embrace them or not. And that's not that's not going to create a, a a the type of effect the amplification effect that we that we're hoping for. So clear and benefits to providers, to patients, to payers. But it's how we frame it. It's how we engage in productive dialogues. It's really going to determine what type of outcome we have in the next ten to fifteen years. Some critical themes for us to think about. Uh, you've been listening to Dr. Vin Gupta. He is a healthcare futurist, an expert on healthcare policy, and the senior principal scientist and CMO at New Health Initiatives at Amazon. Dr. Gupta, it's been such a pleasure listening to you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Eric. And remember, you can hear more from Dr. Gupta at ACHE's 2023 Congress on Healthcare Leadership. That will take place March 20th through the 23rd in Chicago. To learn more and to register, please visit ACHE.org slash Congress. Thank you so much for listening today. And we'll, of course, catch you next time on the Healthcare Executive Podcast from ACHE. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.